0: Well, good morning church. Good morning. good morning. If you have a Bible with you, this morning go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. While you're turning to Acts 3, I want you to think about what your what your answer, what what your response would be to this question. You don't have to you don't have to say it out loud. Uh, But in your heart of hearts, think about what your response to this question would be. What is my deepest need in life right now? What is is your deepest need in your life right now? Maybe for some of you, a a question like that, it it brings to mind a a laundry list of uh, of, uh, just tangible and practical needs. Things like financial assistance. Maybe you don't know how you're going to make ends meet and pay your bills at the end of the month. Maybe it's you love or you, you, you feel like your most pressing need is some extra hands around the house to handle all the responsibilities and chores. Maybe you've had a, a long week or you're in a very particular busy uh, season in, the li- in your life right now and you would love nothing more than for a bit more rest. Or for a few more hours of sleep in the morning. Maybe for some of you, a question about your, your, your most pressing or your deepest need in your life right now. Maybe, maybe your response would be something a bit more difficult to obtain. Maybe it's something like peace from your suffering. Maybe it is relief from a chronic or physical pain that you're going through right now, or joy in the midst of a particularly hard and joyless season. Sometimes I'll I'll ask people this question of what is your most pressing need in life right now? I'll ask people this question when I'm out in the community sharing the gospel. And when I ask this question, I often get responses like the ones that I just mentioned. And, and, And... Friends, I need you to hear me. Those are certainly significant needs, and I don't want to downplay the pressing needs that we do have in our lives. But what if I told you that our deepest need in our life, that that the thing that all of us needed the most in our lives today and for eternity were not physical needs, but spiritual needs. What if our most pressing need was one that we had no power in and of ourselves to meet, but there was one who has all power and all authority and who has the ability to meet that need and actually has already met that need for us? See, that's the picture that we're going to examine and we're going to unpack here in Acts chapter 3 this morning. We're going to look at the life of a man who believed that he had a certain, particular, tangible need in his life. And we're going to see how he became the benefactor of a separate need that he was not expecting. And then we're going to be shown the depths of his true spiritual need, along with all of those who listened to the gospel proclamation That's going to be proclaimed in Acts chapter 3. So, as we continue walking through our sermon series in the book of Acts, we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 3. And as as we examine this incredible story of the the power and the mercy and the grace of Christ and the faithful gospel proclamation, I want us to see two matters or, or really two events. That should captivate our attention and should draw our attention away from our our physical needs and, and draw our attention upwards toward Christ. Those two matters or those two events this morning are the miracle and the message. The miracle and the message. First, we'll examine the miracle of a a lame beggar being healed in verses 1 through 10. And secondly, we'll unpack the subsequent message that Peter preaches in response to the miracle that had just taken place. So if you're someone who likes to take notes, or you're someone who just likes to have a general idea of the direction that we're headed, then the main point of the sermon or the sermon in a sentence, if you will, is this. Jesus has given His life-giving power to His witnesses so that they can share the life-giving message with the lost. I'm going to say that again. Jesus has given His life-giving power to His witnesses so that they can share the life-giving message with the lost. I'm gonna read Acts chapter three. We're not gonna spend, we're not gonna, we're gonna read, we're not gonna read the entire chapter for the sake of time. We'll read verses one through six, and we'll jump down and we'll round out chapter three and verses eleven through sixteen. I'll pray for us, and then we'll unpack what is going on here in Acts chapter 3 with the miracle and the message. So Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, the Word of God says this. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. That is called the Beautiful Gate In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Skip down to verse 11 with me. Verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Oh God, we need you. Lord, we need your grace and your mercy. And your word tells us that your grace and your mercy is is, is made new for us every morning. And so, God, would you help those of us who've been bought by the blood of Christ today, help us, remind us, God, of your grace and your mercy towards us. Remind us of the truth that while we were still sinners, Christ, you died for us. Lord, help us to taste and see that you're good this morning. And God, I pray that if there are any here who do not yet know you, whether they've been a part of a church for decades or whether this is their first time in church, God, I pray that your life-giving, blood-bought grace and mercy would be enough to satisfy that person today. Will they repent and believe, cry out to you for salvation today. God, help me, humble me as as I preach Help me not to give my own opinions or my own thoughts, but only what your word says, God. And Would you shape us and sanctify us by the truth of your word? And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first event that we see here in Acts chapter 3 is the miracle. A lame man healed. That's our our first point. The miracle. A lame man healed. If you were here last week, you heard Jared lead us through Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And in Acts 2, 42 to 47, Luke, the one who's writing the book of Acts, Luke gives us a a zoomed out picture of what the early church was doing after the days of Pentecost and two of those things from acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47 they help shed light on what happens and what is going on here in acts chapter 3 if you look back in acts 2:46 we see that the disciples one of the regular things that they're doing is they're daily attending the temple and in acts 2:43 Luke tells us that many signs were done through the apostles and awe and wonder was sweeping through The land. And after Acts 2, 42-47, Luke zooms the scope back in for us in chapter 3 as he details the first of such accounts. A lame beggar is healed. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 1. Luke tells us that that one day, we don't know when, but one day Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray. And the Bible tells us it was the, the, the ninth hour, which is roughly 3 p.m., 3 in the afternoon. And this was a common time where people in Jerusalem went to the temple to pray, so they would have joined the crowds going to the temple to pray. And as they're approaching the temple, they spot a lame man who was, who was essentially lame from birth. Luke makes sure to detail that account for us. We don't know exactly what's wrong with the man, But what we do know from future verses is that he he didn't have the ability to use his legs or his feet. We see too that this, this lame man was brought to the temple gate on a daily basis so that he could ask for alms. What this means is that this was the man's way of providing for himself the financial needs, the financial means to survive on a day-to-day basis. You see, due to his condition, he could not work. There were no stay-at-home jobs, work-from-home jobs in first century Jerusalem. There were no government agencies that would give money to meet this man's needs. What he relied on was the generosity of those going in and out of the temple on a daily basis to give him money so that he could make ends meet. And on this particular day here in Acts chapter 3, he would encounter two men who would change his life forever. Verse 3 tells us that he locks eyes with Peter and John, and and, and as he locks eyes with Peter and John, he prepares the same pleading request that he had essentially given to everyone else who had locked eyes with him before. The man proceeded to ask Peter and John if they had any money to spare that day. In verse 6, Peter gives the man a response that he could have never imagined hearing that day. Peter says, I have no silver and gold, and and we know that because in Acts 2.42-47, the disciples are selling their possessions and sharing the proceeds amongst the group to meet the needs of those in the group. So Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Put yourself in the the shoes of the lame beggar for a moment. Can you imagine what must have gone through his mind when he hears these words from Peter? Gee, thanks, buddy. Wouldn't that be nice? If I could just get up and walk? Don't you think I've tried that? At this point, we see in Acts 4 that this man is roughly 40 years old. Don't you think for 40 years, Peter, I've tried to just get up and walk? Maybe he thought this was some cruel joke being played on him by a religious hypocrite going into the temple. Perhaps he was brought back to the years of suffering and humility he had faced his entire life. Nonetheless, Peter grabs the man by the arm and he lifts him up. And what we see is that the strength of of feeling and and movement enters the man's legs and feet for the first time and he stands on his his own two feet for the first time in his entire life. You see, Peter wasn't lying when he told the man he didn't have money. Truly, Peter gave the man all that he had. Because all that Peter had, all that Peter was, post the the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, post-Pentecost, all that Peter was was now bound and secure in His risen Messiah. Peter knew well, probably remembered well the words from Jesus in John chapter 14, verses 4 and 5, when Jesus tells His disciples, Abide in Me, and I in you, for apart from Me you can do nothing. Truly, Peter gave the man all that he had, because all that Peter was, was now found in Christ. Think about that for a moment. Peter gives the man something infinitely better than money. Peter gave this man something infinitely more worthy, something infinitely more glorious than a few dollars. Peter gives the man a new life that has been transformed by the restoring power of Jesus. Think about the significance of that. You see, if Peter would have simply given the man a few dollars and gone about his day, the man would have had to be carried back to the gate the next morning. Sure, the man may have had, some, had the means to go buy a meal or to, to pay for a place to stay that night, but he would, have, he would have had to have asked his friends to take him back to the gate the next morning. His condition would be no different than it was before he met Peter and John. But Friends, that's not the case. That's not what we see happen here in Acts chapter 3. Because the man had been given the only thing that Peter had to offer him. Jesus, the man would no longer have to be carried to the the gate to beg. This man's identity, this man's life, this man's purpose was no longer lame or beggar or broken. Once this man encountered the life-giving power of Jesus, the author of life, as Peter calls Jesus in verse 15, once the lame beggar encountered Jesus, His entire personhood changed. His entire life changed. He he went from lame to restored. He went from beggar to redeemed. He went from broken to strengthened. His entire life had just changed. Luke is trying to help us see that the kingdom of God and the life-giving power of Christ did not end when Jesus ascended. Jesus told His disciples in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus said, Behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Jesus' work continued through the disciples. And His work continues today. Jesus, even today, almost 2,000 years after the events that took place in Acts chapter 3, even today, Jesus is still in the business of taking people who are broken and making them new. So what about you this morning? What about you? Are you standing by looking for earthly needs? When Jesus stands ready to give you your most pressing eternal need? Will bread suffice? Or will you look to the bread of life for sustenance? Will water be enough? Or will you drink deeply from the well of living water that never runs dry? The same life-giving power of Jesus that raised and restored the lame man's health in Acts chapter 3 is still available for you today, for your weak and weary soul. All of us, we need not necessarily our, our legs and our strength and our, and our legs to be restored, we need our souls to be restored. And today can be the day where you are given true rest. Not Two more hours of sleep, but true eternal rest for your soul. Today can be the day where you are given true joy. Not momentary happiness, but eternal joy in Christ. Today can be the day where you are given true peace. Not the the fleeting peace of this world, but the eternal peace that the resurrected and, and risen King gives. Peter tells the crowd in verses 19 and 20 to repent from their sins and turn back so that their sins may be blotted out and that they may receive times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. That's what we need. That is our response today. If you're not, if you've never turned to Christ, if you've never repented of your sins, that's the response today. Repent and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out. That is the most pressing need that you have today. All you have to do is cry out for the Lord to save you. If you've never done that before, let me plead with you. Cry out to Christ to save you. Today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day in which your soul is restored. Please, don't leave here this morning without calling out to the Lord for His life-giving, blood-bought redemption that He freely offers you. If you have questions about that, please come and talk to me. Come and talk to Pastor Jared, Pastor John. We would love to answer any questions that you may have about that. So the first event we see is the miracle. A lame man healed. And the second event is, that we see is the message, the life-giving power of Christ. The message, the life-giving power of Christ. Look with me at verse 11. After the man has been healed, they go into the temple, they worship, they pray, they come back out. Verse 11 tells us that Peter and John and the lame man are leaving the temple... And clearly, like the game of telephone, word has spread throughout the people at the temple that something miraculous, something incredible has happened to the beggar who used to set out in front of the gate. Verse 11 tells us that, that crowds swarmed to Peter and John and this man so that they for themselves could witness what had actually happened. Verse 12 tells us that Peter notices the crowds gathering around them and he seizes the opportunity to magnify the name of Christ through this man's healing. You see, this is probably one of the more important things you'll hear me say. Not that everything I'm saying is not important, but one of the more important things you'll hear me say this morning is this. The miracle was a significant event. Certainly, it was great that, that this lame man received the ability to use his feet and legs again. Certainly, the miracle was a significant event, but the message is even more important. The message is even more important. And this is what Peter was trying to guard the people against. He's trying to guard the crowd against as they poured in to witness the miracle that had just been performed. You see, because as the people are flocking to Peter and John and this man that was healed, they were more interested in seeing the sign rather than looking to what the sign actually pointed to. And and even for us today, in, in our day today, there often seems to be this infatuation with miracles. Even in our day today, day there, there are, are people who, who are, are captivated by the, the, the mystery of miracles. Some, many, simply ask the question today whether or not God still performs miracles today. Some take it a step further, and they begin seeking miracles out for themselves. They begin trying to search out miracles for themselves or for someone they know and love. And some even take it a degree further. And they expect miracles to happen when they call upon the name of Jesus. Almost like this magic incantation that if I just call on the name of Christ, then this person will be healed. And friends, if we're not careful, if, if, if we don't, Guard ourselves like Peter is trying to guard the crowd here. If we don't guard ourselves, then we, are, we too can start looking and prioritizing looking for the sign rather than looking for the one the sign points to. Listen, I'm not here to, to argue one way or the other as to whether or not God does or does not perform miracles today. That's not the point of the sermon. That's not even the point of Acts chapter 3. And to be candid with you, if I were to stand here and and give you a a, a seminary dissertation as to whether or not God does or does not perform miracles today, you would leave here saying, that may be okay, but I want more. Why? Because I don't need to give you the sign. I I need to give you the one the sign points to. You don't need a miracle. You don't need to see miracles happen. You need Christ. You need to see people trust in Christ. Miracles are great. And and, and you hear stories of them happening in places around the world. But miracles are always a sign pointing to something even greater. It was fantastic that the lame man in Acts chapter 3 received the ability to walk on his own two feet again. But eventually, presumably, the man grew old and his physical body began to wear down. Or think about the story of Lazarus. Someone shouted out, "What is what is the story of Lazarus most most famously known for?" Someone tell me. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Guess what eventually happened to Lazarus? Lazarus died again. What most people don't know about John chapter 11 is we highlight the sign, we highlight the miracle, but many people don't know what Jesus said just before this happened. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The sign is pointing to one, the sign is meant to point to one even greater. Peter makes this clear in verse 12. In verse 12, Peter says, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? And in verse 16, Peter says, The faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. You see, Peter knew that it wasn't by his strength or by John's strength or even the, the lame man's strength. Or it wasn't because of their godliness that caused this man to rise and walk. It was only through faith in Jesus that this man is restored. Peter says, don't look at us. We're just witnesses. We could not have done this on our own strength. Look to the author of life who is able to give this man a renewed life. For us, as we examine this miracle and even as we in the future we're going to see other miracles like this take place in the book of acts as we examine this miracle and as we examine the messages behind this the message behind this miracle and the ones to come this should give us great comfort to go out and share the gospel with people in our own community because Paul tells us in Romans 1:16 but it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. It's not Andrew that's the power of God unto salvation. It's not Pillar San Antonio that's the power of God unto salvation. It's the faithful gospel proclamation that's the power of God unto salvation. This means then that the, the ability to save someone is not in your own strength. It does not lie in your hands. Hear me when I say this. You cannot argue someone into heaven. You will never argue anyone into heaven. You will never, you could spend tens of thousands of years trying to craft and wordsmith the perfect gospel proclamation. And you'll never convince anyone with your cleverness into heaven. And so if you've never shared the gospel before, or if you're afraid, that, going in, that, that if, you, if you were to go share the gospel with someone, if you're afraid that, that you are, you're just going to fumble it. I'm here to tell you that that not be further from the truth. I say this to relieve the unnecessary burden that you may be tempted to place on yourself. It is not your responsibility to save anyone. Look at Peter's example. Peter said that it was not in his power that this man stood up and walked. Peter was faithful in sharing Jesus with the lame man, and Peter was faithful sharing Jesus with the crowds gathered around him. Faithfulness in evangelism, faithfulness in gospel proclamation is simply sharing. Faithfulness in evangelism is sharing the gospel. That's why we have this this jug of ping-pong balls back here behind us when we we, we want you to put a ping-pong ball in when you share the gospel not when you lead when you lead someone to faith we ask you to put an orange one in but we want you to put a white ping-pong ball in if you simply share the gospel because it is sharing that is faithfulness not leading someone to Christ that's God's responsibility that's God's job is to is to draw people to himself our job is to simply go out and share We sow the seed of the gospel. God is the one who gives the growth. One of our values here at Pillar San Antonio, you can see on our values banner here, is bold evangelism. I long for us to be a people who are regularly making Jesus known in our community. As as our community Here's about Pillar Church of San Antonio. I want the faithful gospel proclamation to be the thing that marks the one of the things that marks the life of our church. I long for us to be a people that are constantly praying for and looking for opportunities to share the gospel. Friends, if we're going to see this community transformed by the life-giving power of Jesus, we have to be the ones who are regularly sharing it. People aren't going to accidentally stumble into it. God has given us the great commission to go and make disciples. And and what's inherently bound in that is faithful gospel proclamation. And so let's go and share the gospel. Let's be people who are marked by our hunger to make Jesus known here in San Antonio and around the world. Thankfully, Peter gives us just a couple principles that we can apply to our own lives as we seek to make Jesus known here in San Antonio and around the world. The first thing that Peter, that we can see in Peter's message is that he reveals their sin. So as you're going out and you're sharing the gospel, what you need to do is you need to reveal people's sin. In verses 14 and 15, Peter very bluntly tells the listening crowd that they were the ones who denied the Holy and Righteous One. They were the ones who killed the author of life. There's no sugarcoating here. Not all who were in the crowd in Acts chapter 3 were at the trial of Jesus when they shouted, Crucify Him. Yet all who were in the crowd are indicted for being the ones who killed Jesus because it was their sin that led Him to the cross. 1 John 2.2 tells us that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. What that means then is that my sin, your sin, the sin of those in Acts chapter 3, are all responsible for the death of Jesus on the cross. All of us are guilty, like those who were in the crowd in Acts chapter 3. And so when you're sharing the gospel with someone, don't shy away from this. It's tempting to want to avoid this hard truth to lessen the blow, but we must model Peter's boldness in revealing sin to those we're sharing the gospel with. Secondly, we need to call people to repent. We need to call people to repent. After Peter tells the crowd of their guilt, he calls them to repent in verse 19. Though they stood guilty before the Lord, there's still hope. They could repent of their sinfulness, which means to turn back and walk away from their sin, and the Lord would be gracious and merciful to them. We must call people to respond as we share the Gospel with them. As we plead with people to repent, we must remind them that the Lord is merciful and gracious. That He's slow to anger and He abounds in steadfast love. And He longs for them to turn back to Him. Thirdly, point them to the One who restores. Reveal their sin, call them to repent, point them to the One who restores. Peter boldly tells the crowd of their guilt. He clearly calls them to repent, and he concludes by giving them the same hope that the lame man had. Faith in Jesus. In Christ, Peter says, will come the forgiveness of their sins times of refreshing and a promise that Christ will return again and fully restore all things. And this is the same hope that we offer people today. As you leave this place and you share the gospel with your neighbors and your co-workers and your family members, remember that what you have to offer them is hope. All you have to offer them is hope. You have the gift You have the ability to offer them the life-giving, blood-bought power and restoration that Jesus freely gives to save them from their sins. That's the message that Peter proclaimed 2,000 years ago, and that's the same message that we proclaim today. It may be tempting to hear an exhortation to go and make Jesus known and simply leave here thinking that you just need to be better. It may be... Tempting to see this jug of ping pong balls and feel like a a shame and a guilt because you haven't shared the gospel yet. But to truly reach this community with the gospel and see lives transformed by Christ, we don't need behavior modification. I don't want you to leave with these exhortations of feeling an obligation or feeling guilty to go out and share the gospel. No, we need to see the majesty and the beauty of Christ. And our hearts need to be captivated by that majesty and that beauty. We need to see the great grace which Christ has given us. And we need to be compelled by that great grace to go tell people about it. Then and only then will we have an insatiable, unquenchable desire to share the gospel. Jesus has given his life-giving power to His witnesses, so that they can share the life-giving message with the lost. Lord, I pray that we would possess such a joy that is unshakable and, and a heart that's full of worship and praise this morning as we come and we stand together under the banner of Christ. Oh, Jesus, would you be magnified in our church? Would you be made much of here in our midst today? We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.